Good morning, everyone, and welcome to City of Hope Church Sunday service online. We're so glad that you could join us this morning. Last week, we uh, started a sermon series in the, in the book of Daniel, and we talked about when in Babylon. We discussed the fact that uh, Daniel and all of his friends had been exiled from their homeland. They had become eunuchs. They had been enslaved in a place called Babylon. And we, we really discussed the spirit of Babylon and how really what was happening to Daniel and his friends in that place is something that is going on in our world today because the Bible does not just teach what did happen, but the Bible teaches what always happens. The Bible, is, it, it gives us examples, it gives us representations of, of what is also happening in our world today. Paul even said that the things that were written in the Old Testament were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world have come. And so when we go to the Old Testament, when we look in the book of Daniel, when we see Babylon, we also have an interpretive key because we can go to the book of Revelation and see that the mystery Babylon has always been at work in every nation. And that means that the mystery of Babylon, this confusion, this empire that is anti-God, that is anti-Christ, is always at work trying to lead people away from the one true God and from the worship of the one true God. And we face that right now in our lives. In America today, we face this same spirit. And Daniel and his friends, they're exiled from the worship of the true God from their homeland, from Jerusalem. They move into Babylon and they are tried, they, Babylon tries to retrain them. It tries to rename them. It gives them uh, ungodly names. It tries to label them differently and they try to teach them the ways of the Babylonian empire and tries to get them to worship false gods. Now, Babylon always seeks to overturn and disrupt and confuse marriage, sexuality, family, gender, and it does not want uh, godly people in this generation to have godly children and raise godly children. The, the world and Satan and the spirit of Babylon would pre prefer that your children are actually uh, educated by this world system as opposed to you and by godly teaching and by scripture. So it looks to infiltrate into your children. That is how the spirit of Babylon works and they seek to educate and build universities and use entertainment for the purposes of brainwashing our children and the next generation so that the generation that comes after us will not know the true one true God and they will bow their knee to any false God that elevates itself. So now we're in Daniel chapter 2 and you can go back and listen to the other message if you need to get caught up but we're in Daniel chapter 2 and the first thing that happens now this is very interesting I'm going to call this sermon problem solving in Babylon. Problem solving in Babylon because now Daniel is in Babylon. He's still a young teenager. He's trying to deal with issues, uh, but, but he comes with a problem. He's faced with a problem. And what you're going to see in the entire chapter of Daniel chapter 2 is how Daniel deals with these problems, how he is a problem solver in a place like Babylon where there's this immense amount of confusion, an immense amount of pressure uh, to reject God and follow the ways of the world around him. But he chooses to solve the problem in a godly way. Now, now in Daniel chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, it says, Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. And his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. And then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Now this is very interesting because throughout the book of Daniel, 
The book of Daniel and the book of Revelation are both, and they're the only two books in the Bible that are considered apocalyptic literature. Now, I told you last week that apocalypse or apocalyptic literally just means revelation. It means to take off the veil. It means to show you something that was otherwise hidden. And the reason these two books are apocalyptic literature is because there are dreams, there are visions involved in which God is trying to show them things that are going on in their current world and things that are going to take place in the future. And he's unveiling those things. And what you're going to see is that Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and ultimately this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had at night is going to be revealed by a vision, a night vision that Daniel had while he was asleep. And that's the difference between a dream and a vision in the Bible. A dream is, is, is something that comes to you in the night, obviously, but a vision is literally something that God gives you while you are awake. It could be a mental image or it could literally be as if there is a, a screen in front of you where there where God begins to unfold a vision to you. Now, now, obviously, these things are supernatural, but the truth is, is throughout Scripture, God uses visions and dreams. Prophets in the Old Testament are called seers. And even in the New Testament, we have prophecy like in the book of Joel. It says that your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions, and upon uh, his servants, he's going to pour out his spirit in the last days. So we believe in these supernatural realities. But here's the thing. Not all dreams are necessarily from God. Uh, dreams can come from different locations. I mean, some of us, we just ate some Grippos one night and maybe had a good cold glass of milk, and we go to bed and have one of the craziest dreams that we've ever had. And a lot of times it can do, do, do with stress or whatever's going on in our world around us, and we get confused, and we have dreams that are honestly just our soul doing crazy things. But... Dreams can also come from the demonic. There can be counterfeit dreams that come to bring insecurity or come to bring fear. But even in the book of Job, Job says that, uh, that, that God speaks once, even twice, yet man does not hear him. So in visions of the night when men are slumbering upon their beds, God opens their heart to receive instruction through a vision or through a dream so that he can save their life and bring them back from the pit. Or he gives them direction. He gives them warning in a dream. So dreams can also come come from God. And many times, many times throughout Scripture, God gives men dreams in order to give them direction, in order to show them the way that they should go. And it, it's completely biblical. So we see that going on. Now, some people would ask, well, why in the world would God communicate in such a way? Why would he give somebody a dream? Why would he communicate in that way? Now, really, people tend to find the Lord in two different ways. They tend to find the Lord through persuasion or they tend to find the Lord through power. Now, a lot of people have mental objections. They have questions. When I'm dealing with people about, about the Lord and different things, some people just have so many strongholds. It's, maybe it's science. Maybe it's, maybe it's their education. Maybe it's, it's different things that they've deal with, dealt with or all the religions of the world, and they're just wrestling with these mental objections, and they need to be persuaded. They need facts. They need convincing. They need, uh, they need some sort of proof or something like that. But then there's another group of people that they just need, they need a, a power experience. They don't necessarily care if you've got a good argument or not. They need to experience God. They'll say, you know what? I, I, I believe in God because I experienced his power. I was healed. I was set free. I was delivered. God spoke to me. I had an encounter where you just could not deny that it was God at work. And, and personally, when my life was transformed, it was because I had a power encounter. There were undeniable things that happened that let me know that God was at work. And I'm telling you folks, right now in our generation and in our world, we have God 
got to believe that God is still at work in powerful ways, in supernatural ways, that He wants to speak to His people, and that whether it be through persuasion or power, God wants to break through in order to save people, heal people, and deliver people. And we are in Babylon, spiritually speaking, and we have got to be like Daniel, filled with the Holy Spirit, ready to resist all darkness, and asking God to break in in our world in any way that He sees fit. If He's got to give a wicked man a dream who will then come to us in order for us to speak on God's behalf, then let it be so, Lord, because we need to see our world change. We need to see souls and lives saved. Now, when we talk about these issues, anytime I talk about supernatural things or whatever, you, you've got two camps biblically. You've got people that call themselves charismatics. That means they believe in the gifts of the Spirit. And then you've got people who are cessationists. They believe that these supernatural things have ceased. Now, me personally, I believe that if you believe that the gifts of the Spirit has, have ceased, if I look throughout Scripture biblically, to deny the supernatural to me is antithetical to the Bible. To me, that is who God always has been and always will be. The Bible says that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that means that if He was back in those days working through the supernatural, then today He is also working through the supernatural. He is a supernatural God that is just who He is. And if they needed the power of God to overcome the spirit of Babylon and the wickedness that was going on in the world during those times, then we need the power of God all the more now in our day. We need God to move. We need God to reveal Himself. Now somebody would say, well Clay, what about the Bible though? We've got the Bible. Let me tell you something. Where I got all these beliefs about the supernatural and about the power of God and about healing, I got it from the Bible. We're Bible people here. We, we, we teach and preach the Word of God as the sole foundation. And there is no authority. Every word that we get from God, every dream that we get from God, everything must submit itself to Scripture because Scripture is the ultimate authority. But God still moves and God still speaks through visions and dreams. i got to be honest with you. In my own life, I cannot tell you, well, the number of times... Several times in my life, I've been, I've been at a crossroads and I've prayed to the Lord and I've said, Lord, I need direction in this area or this area. And God, through a dream, specifically has revealed to me what not to do or what to do. And oftentimes, I'm heading in a direction where I'm thinking this is a good thing to do. Maybe I should really do this thing. And it looks good. It's not necessarily evil because in those moments, I can't necessarily go to a Bible verse and know whether or not I should take a job or know whether or not I should move to this city. I, I can't necessarily know that. But God has come to me and given me dreams before in order to warn me from taking a next step. Sometimes He's given me dreams about other people that when I speak to them, they say, that's exactly right. That's exactly what's going on in my life. And, it begin, and God begins to deal with them that way. Even recently, my wife and I were making two decisions. We went to bed one night and, and we said, Lord, we need direction on these two things. And that very night, I had a dream where God revealed to me these things that were going on and He gave me insight on what to do and what not to do and we understood from the Lord that He was speaking to us about these things. So God's people should never chase signs and wonders, but if you are following God, signs and wonders will often chase you. And that's the place that we need to be in as God's people. So Daniel, he comes in in this situation. What's so interesting is, is the king says to the Chaldeans, he calls these magicians, these astrologers in after he has this dream. And he calls them in and he says, listen, if y'all can't tell me the dream, he says, he says, if y'all can't give me the interpretation of the dream, I'm going to cut you all in pieces and I'm going to make your houses an ash heap. And he said, but if you can tell me the dream, I'm going to give you great gifts. I'm going to give you honor. I'm going to give you reward. And they come to him and they say, King, 
We can't do this because not only have you asked for the interpretation of the dream, you have asked us in order to prove that it's a true interpretation to tell you the dream. Now, I want you to imagine that. Somebody says, hey, would you interpret my dream? Said, well, give me the dream. They said, no, you got to tell me the dream I had first just to prove it. And if you don't, we're going to cut you in pieces. We're going to burn down your house. We're going to kill your dog. I mean, that's essentially what, what, what Nebuchadnezzar said. And so they're, they're in bad shape. They said, listen, nobody can do this except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. That's their exact words. The good news is, is that our God's dwelling is with flesh. Our God became flesh and dwelt among man. And then when our God left this earth, he sent his spirit so that he could once again continue to live in flesh. And the spirit of God now dwells in believers in Christ. But they were saying, listen, Nebuchadnezzar, you've got a God-sized problem and we are not God. And Nebuchadnezzar says, all right, then kill all the magicians, kill all the astrologers, even go and kill Daniel and all his buddies because they're in this too. And so they send out the decree and Daniel says, ho, 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 what's up? Y'all are getting a little bit too hasty. Why don't you give me some time? Now, what's so interesting is that the king ends up giving Daniel time because when you're following God, it is often the case that God will give you favor in ways that other people don't find that favor. And when you're following God, God can open a door for you in order to bring about something. And God gives Daniel prudence and, and Daniel says, give me some time. But here's what you're going to find out. Now, in, in this first little section here, about uh, Nebuchadnezzar, what you're going to find about him is that people who are never under authority or are never told no, they're impossible to deal with. He, he, was, he grew up his whole life getting everything he wanted, telling everybody what he wanted, demanding everything of every, everyone at any time. And any time that happens with somebody, they always end up being a tyrant. Now, there's a parenting lesson right there in that very thing. Being told no is essential in our generation. When people are headed in a wrong direction or in an evil direction, the scripture is the only, one of the things that I love about the Bible is one of the first things in my life that to many things that I was doing that was ungodly, people would just overlook it in my life. But the scripture came and said no. And it dealt with me being a tyrant, man. It dealt with me being in control of my life. And Secondly, we're all like Nebuchadnezzar to varying degrees. Somebody be like, well, I can't believe Nebuchadnezzar. This guy, he, 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 all he wants is more money. He wants to just sit in comfort in his big mansion and he just wants to boss everybody around. Really, that's what everybody in America is pursuing at the end of the day. It's just that they do it to varying degrees of success. But Nebuchadnezzar got what everybody in America wanted. That's just the reality. Now, Ultimately, even though this man had conquered the world, he was easily conquered by God and he realized at the end of the day that everybody needs God's help. No matter how much you have, no matter how good you think you've got it, every single person on the planet, and especially when things are going the way they are in our world today, people are getting into such pressure situations that they're beginning to realize, man, we have God-sized problems that man cannot solve. And so therefore, sometimes our problems are a very good thing. And sometimes these world problems are a very good thing because it is dealing with the pride of man to say we got God-sized problems that no man can solve. But see, they have counterfeit spirituality and religion. They got all these magicians. They got all these astrologers. But counterfeit spirituality and religion does not work when you need it the most. So many people I know, I'll watch people post on Facebook. They're like, man, you know, we need to do away with organized religion. And maybe we do need to do away with certain aspects of religion that is no good and different things like that. But people will say, you know, I got my own relationship with God. I got this. I got that. And really what they're saying is at the end of the day, I just don't want to 
be held responsible for anything and I don't want to submit myself to any kind of authority, whether it be church or scripture or God or anything like that. And they say they have their own relationship with God, but when, it come, when the push comes to shove, their own spirituality, your own personal spirituality does not work when you need it most. It works when life is just going on as normal and you don't want to be held accountable for anything and you don't want to be responsible for anything, but when you need it most, your own personal religion doesn't work anymore. And that's what the Babylonians, that's what Nebuchadnezzar was figuring out. He also found out that human wisdom will always fail. He brings in philosophers. He brings in the educated. He brings these dudes in with PhDs that are educated beyond their intelligence and none of them can give an answer. But see, God, even when human intelligence cannot figure it out, listen, even missionaries have wondered, how are we going to reach people in the Middle East with the gospel? And right now, what is so interesting, when we talk about dreams, I've read several books recently and several articles. One of the fastest growing churches in the world right now is in Iran, where that is a completely Muslim nation where it's illegal to be a Christian in a lot of different ways, yet the fastest growing church is underground in Iran And right now, Jesus is reaching people in that area. And the way that he's reaching people is not because tons of missionaries are getting in there. He's reaching people because many Muslims are going to sleep and they're having a dream where they have an encounter with Jesus Christ and they're convicted of their sin. They repent of their false religion. They turn to Jesus. And now, right now, like I said, one of the fastest growing churches in the world right now is underground in Iran because God is revealing himself to people in dreams if he has to. And we need to pray that God will continue to reveal himself to more and more people. Now they have that problem. There's this dream. Nobody can answer it. And so Daniel goes to the second thing. The second thing is the prayer. So Daniel had the problem and then he goes into prayer. And in Daniel chapter 2, verse 17 through 19, it says, Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but a sense of urgency will will ramp up your prayer life. And one of the things, one of the reasons so many of us are not praying right now is because we still don't have a sense of urgency. And that's honestly pretty crazy to me. To see the world in the shape and the condition that it is in and people to not have a sense of urgency to pray and to call upon God. When the scripture, I mean, we, people have been quoting scripture forever. Like, like in Chronicles seven fourteen, it says that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, that I will heal from he- hear from heaven and I will heal their land. That is a promise. But God's people has to have a sense of urgency where they will repent and seek the face of God and pray. And then God says, then I will hear from heaven and I will answer and I will heal their land. There's something that happens. We have got to have a sense of urgency that leads us to a place of prayer. Notice Daniel, he does not respond with panic because I'll be honest with you, some of the things that have happened recently, even in the church, like I've responded with a little bit of panic. I've responded by taking a poll. Well, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think about this? Daniel didn't respond by doing that. He didn't poll nobody. 
He didn't ask, hey, boys, what do you think about it? He didn't even ask his three friends, what do you think we should do? He knew what he was going to do. He said, we're going to pray, and I want you boys to pray with me because these are answers that can only come from God. And when you're finally in a situation where your problem is a God-sized problem and the answer is only going to come through God, you're in a good position for a supernatural breakthrough and for God to reveal himself and make himself known. Look, if you're the one who gives all the answers, if man comes in and steps in and has all the answers, well, that's just all the more reason to glorify man. But right now in this day and age when everything is falling apart and no man has the answers to sickness or the economy or government or anything else, we need God to step in and bring the answers and for men and women of God to stand up and say, we've heard from God. We've got an answer from the Lord. And that is where Daniel is at. And Daniel was a man of prayer. He realized that he didn't have the answers. He needed to get in touch with the commander-in-chief. And prayer is the communication that gets in touch with the commander-in-chief who sees things that we don't quite see when we're on the battlefield. We get blinded. We don't see what's out in front of us. We don't see what's ahead. But God sees and knows all things. And prayer enables us to get in touch with the unseen realm to get divine strategies from heaven and begin to move forward. Daniel was a man we find out in chapter 6 that prayed three times a day every day even when they tried to get him to stop. And not only that, but he had friends. And listen, right now, you need to have people that you can call up and that you can say, hey, I need to pray. I need somebody to pray with me. And Daniel had that small group, man. He had people in his life that could pray with him. And we need those kinds of relationships because when we go through crisis, man, we already have to have that established relationship with some folks that can pray us through the storm. So he starts with a problem. He ends up praying. But then thirdly, he, he ends up giving God praise as well. And in Daniel chapter 2, verse 19 through 23, it says, So Daniel blessed the God of heaven because God had revealed to him this, this vision. And it says, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. Now Daniel could have complained to the God of heaven. I got to be honest with you, I catch myself a lot of times when I go through difficult situations, getting angry, getting frustrated, complaining. And Daniel could have easily said, you know what, Lord, here I am doing, the, doing what's right. And you have got me exiled away from my family into another land. I've become a eunuch. I've become a slave. They give me another name. It's a terrible name, Belshazzar. I don't like that name. They got me trying to worship false gods. They're teaching me things. I'm, they're trying to give me a degree here in witchcraft. I'm doing all kinds of things that I don't want to be doing. I'd rather be home worshiping you where things were easy. But even in the midst of all of that, Daniel found a reason to praise God. And he never questioned God. He was never angry at God. But he said, you know what, God, you're still on the throne. And if I have to go through this, ultimately, look at what Daniel's going through. He's going through something to ultimately save three kings and bring them through, but also reveal to us in the future what we're going to have to deal with and how we can deal with it in an ungodly world and in an ungodly nation that we live in. And when people are moving away, how we can stay firm in the faith. And we find out that God... He, raised, he removes kings and he sets up kings. 
He's the one who is ultimately in control. And every election year, here's what we need to do. Because, man, we can get so caught up in this political mess right now that we can get distraught, we can get frustrated, we can backbite, we can talk about, about other people. But, you know, when things are going on, we need to know that God is ultimately in control of who, of who is in control. He just is. And therefore, we can pray and we can give God praise and we can know that, God, you are on the throne and ultimately there is nothing that is going to happen in our world that doesn't pass through your hand. And so we can trust that with you, things are going to be okay. And I love what he says because he says, I praise you, O God of my fathers. O God of my fathers. Now, Daniel, I want you to understand this. This is important because Daniel is strong in Babylon because his fathers taught him how to worship God when he was a young man. When he was in Israel, his, he, he saw his fathers praying at night. He saw his fathers praying in the morning. He, he, a young man doesn't just learn how to pray three times a day. He saw somebody doing it. And Daniel's fathers passed the faith down to him. And he had fathers that were willing to turn off the television to pray with their children and to teach them about the scripture and to show them that more important than anything in the world was your worship of God. And it wasn't just money or, or, or things that they were passing down to them, but it was the faith and it was the worship of the one true God that was being passed down. And right now, if we're going to get this next generation through Babylon in our world, we have got to have men and women. We got all kinds of kids that we're having right now in City of Hope church. And right now we got to understand that as parents, as leaders, it is our goal and our responsibility to raise godly young men and women that when they're teenagers, they're conquering demons. They don't have to go through the difficulties that we went through and the sins that we went through because they can be filled with the Holy Spirit now and they can grow up and go through Babylon and worship God and, and choose to pray and praise in difficult situations. See, God sets up seemingly dark moments. This looked like a bad moment. It looked like everybody was going to get killed. It looked like Daniel and his friends might get killed. But it was a setup for the ultimate purpose of God revealing himself to those who would otherwise not know him through Daniel, through somebody that was going to be completely submitted to God. And that's what God was trying to do all along. And so Daniel comes into the king's presence and he's in the king's presence and he says, listen, king, he says, don't destroy the wise men of Babylon. He said, take me to the king and I'll give him the interpretation. And, and, and the magicians, the wise men, the, the soothsayers, all of those couldn't tell you. I understand that, king. But here's what he says in verse 28. He says, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. So Daniel walks in and he's like, look, none of these guys can do it. And there's a dramatic pause and the king says, well, what in the world are you here for? If you can't do it, what are you doing here? And he says, but no, it's not about what I can do. It's about what my God can do. There is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he's saying, King, you don't know this God, but you need to know this God because ultimately you think you're in control of your kingdom, but he's about to reveal to you through this vision, through this dream that you're not in control any longer, that he is the one who sits on the throne. He is the one who, who governs kings and sets them up and takes them down. He is the one that is ultimately leading all things. And so God sets this situation up. But see, it is in the place of prayer and praise that God brings the revelation to Daniel. 
Right now in your life, you have got to set up a place of prayer. You've got to set up a place of praise where you can seek God's face, where you can worship Him because it is in that place. That's how we contact. That's how we get into connection with the unseen realm. That's how the Bible teaches that we worship God in spirit and in truth. It's not about what you can see or feel, but when you enter into praise, when you enter into prayer, you are contacting the God who is spirit and he is able to give you revelation in that moment and it comes in that context of prayer and praise. And so he had a problem, he began to pray, he began to praise and it led to number four, the prophecy. And in the prophecy, Daniel chapter 2 verse 31 through 35, it says, You, O king, he starts talking to the king, he said, You were watching and behold a great image. Now notice this. Daniel is actually telling the king the dream that he had. That's amazing. God revealed to Daniel the exact dream that the king had had. And it says, This great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest of arm and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found, and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now in this prophecy, he is actually prophesying human history. And he is showing that these nations are going to come, these kingdoms are going to come, and through the upheaval and the political division and kingdoms rising against kingdom and nation against nation and all of these wars and all of these things happening, God ultimately sees all of it un unfolding before his hands and he has a plan in the end. Now here's an image. Here's, here's an image of what he ultimately saw. Now this is a cheap image, but if you, if you were to Google it, you can find these images all over the place. And he starts to lay out exactly what is going, what, what's going on. And he says to him in, 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 in Daniel chapter 2, verse 36 and 38, he says, This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand, and he has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. So he says, you're this head of gold. He's showing him in this image these kingdoms that are coming and he's saying, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold. This is the Babylonian empire that was 600 years before Christ came. And as he's prophesying this, now, now Nebuchadnezzar was the most mentioned king in the Bible. He was mentioned 90 times. God called him both my servant and the lowest of men. What's so interesting about Babylon historically is that it was filled with gold. They loved gold. They had tons of gold. And when they sacked the temple in Jerusalem, the main thing they took was the gold that was in Jerusalem. That was a place that was filled with gold. In that empire, he had a 90-mile wall that was 370 feet high, and that wall was surrounded by a moat. It was a massive kingdom. He, it was an empire that was taking over the world in that time. But what's so interesting is he says, look, it's not going to be long because you're looking at 606 B.C. And, this, and, the, and, the, and the empire that came right after that, this silver one, 
with two arms, and the two arms represent two kingdoms. It is, it is the Medea Persian Empire. Two separate kingdoms, you have two arms. He's actually prophesying who would come in after Nebuchadnezzar and take over Babylon and defeat them. And that's what he says in Daniel 2.39. He says, but after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. That's the Medo-Persian Empire. And then in Daniel 2.39, what you see again is then another a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. If you go back to that image, you look at it. This, so the bronze then is the Greek empire. This was led by Alexander the Great who literally covered all sorts of geographical territory. And so that was actually called the Bronze Age in history. And uh, the armor for the Greece Empire or the Greek Empire, whenever Alexander the Great led it, they had bronze helmets, they had bronze shields. Everything that they had was bronze and they were called, it was called the Bronze Age during that time. So before all of this happened, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of what was going on during this time. He had this dream and God is laying out for him that, look, you're not the last, you're not the last kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar. I'm showing you that what, that the kingdoms that are going to come after you. And then it says in, in verse 40, it says, And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And that last kingdom, if you look at that image one last time, is, is the Roman Empire that came in in 27 B.C. right before the coming of Christ. And Rome had such a wide geographic dominion that ultimately it ended up being divided. And it was so large that that's how the Roman Empire came to an end because it was so big that it became divided and ultimately it broke down. Now, he speaks about an end times where a lot of this breaking down starts to begin to come back together and, and all of these things are happening. But, but the question you might have is, well, how come the prophecy only went this far? And the reason the prophecy only went this far is because Jesus Christ is ultimately the center of all history. And it is in the Roman Empire that Jesus Christ came. Ultimately, it was the Roman Empire that had Jesus Christ whipped, beaten, and crucified. It was the Roman Empire that put their insignia on his tomb when he was buried. It was the Roman Empire that tried to hide and reveal the fact that he had been risen from that grave. And it was in that Roman Empire. But here's the thing. Throughout history, when the Roman Empire came, it was so large and so big and so vast that they created road systems. And any other time throughout history, if that had happened, if Jesus had come and done the miracles and preached the gospel that he had, the gospel could not have went out like it did until the Roman Empire put those road systems over the earth geographically. And because they set it up, it was at that time that not only would Jesus be crucified, but the gospel could go forth into all the world. And that's why we're hearing it right now today in Manchester, Kentucky, because of God's sovereign plan to bring about things the way that he needed to bring them about in history. See, the God who wrote the word is the God who rules the world and God sees all future events and he is still in control of what's going on. 
Now, number five, I got a couple more things and we're going to wrap up. But number five, so he goes through this. He, 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 he's, he's got a problem. He prays, he praises. Then he has a prophecy, he has a revelation. But then there's also a promise that comes in this. And I love this, but it says in verse 44, and in the, in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in, it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. Now Daniel, once he gets a prophetic word from God, he knows that, look, Nebuchadnezzar is not going to like this because he's basically telling him, Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom is coming to an end. It's not going to be an eternal kingdom. It's coming to an end, but Daniel at this point doesn't care because he is declaring the word of the Lord whether the king likes it or not. He says the drink, this interpretation is sure and it's going to come to pass. But he says there's a stone that is coming at the end of times, and this is a stone that is cut without hands. See, this is the stone the Bible says that the builders have rejected, but is the cornerstone. That last stone that comes is Jesus Christ, who is returning to, 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 to end all kingdoms so that he sets up an eternal kingdom where he rules and reigns with his saints forever and ever. And what he's saying is that ultimately every king and every kingdom on this planet, the United States of America, every kingdom that is on this earth is going to come to an end. They will not last, but praise be to God, Jesus Christ is going to, going to return. He is the stone cut without hands. That could refer to the fact that, 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 that he went through a virgin birth, but it's also the fact that his kingdom is not a man-made kingdom. His kingdom is the kingdom of God. It is an eternal kingdom. It's a kingdom where there's no more sorrow, no more death, no more pain, no more crying, no more tears, but it is an eternal kingdom of perfect righteousness, perfect peace. There's going to be no more political divide. There's going to be no more Republicans and Democrats. There's going to be no more presidents that you don't like because the one king that everybody loves is going to be on the throne forever. And we will worship him in perfect harmony and perfect peace forever. And we've got to get ready to receive this in eternal kingdom. I'm telling you folks, we need to pray for the leaders that are in charge of our nation. We need to pray that God would raise up godly leaders. We need to pray that he would bring revival and awakening in America. We need to pray that we would get back to the roots of, uh, of what, what was good in America. I mean, obviously there are terrible things that have happened in America. Amen. I agree with that. But at the end of the day, we are a nation that in the beginning we had people that to some degree looked to God and believed in God. And we need that. We need a movement of that right now more than ever before. And we need to pray that. But we need to pray that knowing that even America will one day come to an end. And we have to look for a kingdom that is beyond this, this kingdom here on earth. And lastly, number six. He goes through all that and the last thing that he comes to is the promotion because it says that in verse 46, the king Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face prostrate before Daniel and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets since you could reveal this secret. And I told you last week that Daniel went through three kings and he watched all of them turn to the one true God. That's how he wants to use you and I in this generation. It says in verse 48, Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts. And he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also Daniel petitioned the king and he set Shadrach, Meshach, 
and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. Now see, Daniel never kneeled before King Nebuchadnezzar. He kneeled before the king of kings so he could stand before King Nebuchadnezzar and ultimately King Nebuchadnezzar kneeled and bowed down to Daniel. Now that's the craziest thing because King Nebuchadnezzar, even in that moment, what did he do? He bowed down and he worshiped Daniel. He gave God glory, but ultimately, see, he still did not turn his heart to the Lord because you know you can rever God in your mind, but not accept God in your heart. And what we need in our generation is people to understand that, yeah, I know you know about God. I know you heard about God. I know you went to church when you were a little boy. I know, you, I know you've said prayers and stuff like that. But you have got to receive Jesus Christ in your heart and make him Lord of your life. Time is running out. And folks, there is nothing more important than you receiving Jesus Christ as the king of your life and letting him rule and reign on the throne of your heart. That's what has to happen. But Daniel gets promoted. He becomes the Bible teacher over the university because he's promoted in charge of all things. Just notice that. In the most wicked and ungodly and darkest of situations, people who will serve God and remain faithful to God, God can exalt them even in darkness. And that's what we have to understand as Christians in a dark age. Daniel teaches us that you can be a good citizen and you should be a good citizen until what you are doing causes you to no longer be a good Christian we got to be good citizens until we can no longer be good Christians doing it. And right now, man, things are being challenged. People are, people are trying to get people to do different things, and there's a lot of things that are going on, and I know that the church wants to resist and throw up and fight, but as long as you can remain a good citizen or a good Christian, you should always try to be a good citizen. And whenever what the demands of the law are telling you, though, when that starts to affect your godliness and your Christianity, that's when you may have to let go of your citizenship a little bit and start to begin to pursue God and God alone and lay down some other things. But he also teaches that your faith is public. It's not private. You've got to live for God in public. It's not something that you just do in your home. I know that the state and the world and the government says you need to shut up and you need to stay home and do that, but your faith has got to be public now. It's got to come out of the closet and you have got to reveal yourself as a follower of God and a believer in Jesus Christ. What he also teaches is what I said earlier is that signs and wonders follow those who follow the Lord. As Christians, we're not to chase after signs and wonders. We don't want to see a miracle for miracle's sake. We chase God for God's sake. And in dark times, He will allow signs and wonders to follow us because we pursue Him. And lastly, He teaches us that faith is building your life on God's character and control even when you don't see what He's doing and you don't like what's happening and you don't agree with His timing. You may not agree with everything that's going on in your life. You may not agree with everything that's going on in your world. But true faith is building your life on his character and knowing that he's still in control even when things don't look good. And lastly, just want to share this with you because it's a beautiful thing to understand that when Jesus was born, it says magi came. And there, there are some scholars who believe that these magi who brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh to him actually came from Babylon, from that area. That they were probably... The, the, the great, great, great grandsons of the magicians during Daniel's time. Why? Because Daniel taught them Bible prophecy. He told them that ultimately what was going to happen is a Messiah was going to come. There was going to be a true king that would set up an eternal kingdom. And he taught them that. So they were waiting on that to come. They understood Bible prophecy. And through Scripture... They knew because of Daniel's teaching and being in Babylon when Jesus was going to be born... 
and they showed up at his birth and they offered to him gold, they offered to him frankincense, they offered to him myrrh. And that gold, it's interesting because I think maybe, just maybe, they took that gold out of the temple in Jerusalem from King Jehovah and they realized this same gold that we once took from the temple in Jerusalem, now we're going to return it to the rightful king. We're going to return it to Jesus Christ, and they returned it. And they gave him that to represent that he is king, but they also gave him frankincense to represent that he is a great high priest because frankincense would be offered by the priesthood in prayer and worship. And they gave him myrrh because myrrh was an embalming fluid, and it represented that ultimately he was going to be the sacrifice for you and, and for I. And Jesus laid down his life for you and for me. And he's saying, look, do not put all your eggs in the basket of these earthly kingdoms because these kingdoms will come and they will go, but ultimately they are in control of the Lord and they are in his hands and they will come to an end. But Jesus Christ is coming with a heavenly kingdom where righteousness reigns and he's asking us to get ready and to get our hearts prepared for his coming, to be ready when he returns, to have our hearts washed in his blood, to be forgiven of our sins, to turn to him with our whole hearts and say, Lord, use me in this hour. And right now as we're living in these dark times, man, we've got to be open to saying, Lord, use me however you see fit. Just like you use Daniel, God, we're open to being filled with your spirit. Give us visions, give us dreams, give us whatever you have to give us in order to reveal God to a dark world and a lost world. And let me just pray with you right there where you're at. Father, I just, I just, I just pray for each person right now, God, and, and I just bless them in the name of Jesus. And I pray just like Daniel, Lord, just like the three Hebrew children that were with Daniel, Lord God, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. You'd fill each listener, God, with your Holy Spirit right now. And Lord, you would give us discernment, Lord, in our world today to discern from good and evil and to be led by your Spirit to know what you're calling us to do in each situation. And I pray, Father, that just like just like Daniel, in dark situations, you would give us the revelation that we need. You would teach us to pray when we have problems. You'd teach us to, to, to give you praise, God, when it would be far easier to complain because in those moments, Lord, you're going to show us the path that we should take and you're going to cause us to shine as bright lights in the midst of dark situations. And ultimately, God, you're going to get the glory and you're going to bring transformation. And somebody that's listening right now, Father, I just pray that you would help them, you would bless them, you would strengthen them, you'd encourage them, God. You'd heal them where they're at and you'd let them know that you're with them, God, for good and that you're going to bring things to pass for good and you're going to get the glory in Jesus' name. Lord, we worship you. We honor you. We thank you. Amen. God bless you all. Thanks so much for tuning in with us this morning.